0: Final lesson of the way, the truth, and the life. This is lesson number 10. It all wraps up here. Although I'd love to just keep going and dive deeper into the Word of God, Uh, time just won't let us permit that as this is the end of the 10 week Bible study. But in week nine, we looked at how is the Holy Spirit really for me? Uh, God always had a plan to fill His people with His Holy Spirit. And instead of dwelling in a tabernacle or a temple, God desired to make his followers the temple of his Holy Ghost. And, and many of the Old Testament prophets spoke of this. John the Baptist did. So did Jesus. God was going to pour out his spirit upon all flesh and write his law on our hearts. And that's exactly what happened in the Acts chapter 2. On the day of Pentecost, God filled 120 people with the Holy Ghost with the evidence of speaking in other tongues. This is the same way that believers received God's Spirit all through the book of the Acts of the Apostles. And God still wants to fill his people with his Spirit. Luke chapter 11, verse 9 says, And I say unto you, Ask, and it shall be given you. Seek, and ye shall find. Knock, and it shall be opened unto you. For every one that asketh receiveth, and he that seeketh findeth. And to him that knocketh it shall be opened. If a son shall ask bread of any of you that is a father, will he give him a stone? Or if he ask a fish, will he give him a serpent? Or if he shall ask an egg, does he offer him a scorpion? I mean, what kind of dad does that? And scripture says, if ye then, being evil, know how to give good gifts unto your children, how much more shall your heavenly father give the Holy Spirit to them that ask him? God is longing to fill his people with his spirit. It was for the Bible, the times, and it's still for today. And so as we wrap up tonight, today, the the title is How It All Ends Up. Let's pray. God, we are so thankful, Lord, that we've had the opportunity to gather here using technology. Lord, I know that people are watching or listening to this either live or at a later date, maybe many years later. God, let your word still come to life. For this individual who is tuning in at this moment. We pray in your name, Jesus' name. Amen. You know, the book of Acts, it does not have a clear ending like other epistles where there's like a formal greeting, a goodbye, a, a benediction. This is, this is not the case. That's because we are still the book of Acts today. God is still fi- filling his people with his spirit and as a matter of fact, God's greatest miracle is the transformation of a life that we as a human being could be heading one way, struggling with one thing, but God, with, when we repent of our sins, we're washed, we're filled with his spirit, our lives can be forever changed. But even after you have repented, you've had your sins washed away, you've been filled with the spirit of the Lord with the evidence of speaking in other tongues that is is that is not the end of the spiritual journey that's just the beginning god has a plan for your life speaking in tongues is the evidence that god's spirit has now come inside of you but now we should show forth fruit there should be fruit of the spirit fruit comes on a tree and it's and it shows hey there's there's health to this tree and it's bearing fruit that's exactly what should happen with us that when god fills us with His spirit. We should now begin to bear fruit. And Galatians tells us about that fruit in Galatians 5, 22, It says, the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There's no law against these things. And it says, Paul says, those who belong to Christ Jesus have nailed the passions and desires of the sinful nature to the cross and crucified them there. Since we are living by the Spirit, let us follow the Spirit's leading in every part of our lives. God does not just desire to fill us with His Spirit. He wants every part of our lives to be led by His Spirit. And that is what He desires for His people. So think about that because as you interact with society and the culture that you now live, you might be the only Jesus that someone sees or knows. So they're going to associate... Christianity, Jesus Christ, salvation with what they see from you. And so our lives and our demeanor should point to a Savior, should point to Jesus Christ. And so your life now becomes a testimony. Look at 1 Peter 2.9. It says, Peter says, but you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar, a different people, that you should show forth the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. And so we should show the world. Oh, God looks in the heart. I understand that. But our demeanor, our actions, we should show the world God's love and mercy and grace with just the way we live and carry ourselves. You know, the first mention of the Holy Spirit in the book of Acts is associated with power. Power to do what? To be a witness. Acts 1.8 says, you shall receive power after the Holy Ghost has come upon you. Power to do what? To be witnesses. Where? And he lists to the uttermost part of the earth, the cities of that day, to the uttermost part of the earth. And so some will say, well, we can never lose our salvation, but scripture over and over again will say words like he that continue with, do with, a continuation. It's not a one-time deal. Oh, I'm filled with the spirit. I'm good now. No, we, we want to keep growing in the spirit, the fruit of the spirit, allowing people to experience the spirit of God in our lives. And so even though we've experienced God's spirit, we could wake up tomorrow and just say, I'm done. I'm walking away. I don't want any part of this. There's no such thing scripturally as eternal security, that we're always once saved and always will we be saved. We, you look in the Old Testament, Israel was a covenant people, and they walked away from God over and over and over again. And then God would send prophets and call them to repentance, and then they would repent and come back and do the same thing over again. And so you need to remember, and I need to remember, that there is a spiritual battle, a war on for our souls and for your family. Take that very seriously. Paul writes about this, and you say things like this, and this day people might be like, ah, you believe that stuff? Yes, I do, because it's scriptural. Paul says a final word, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on all God's armor. So that you will be able to stand firm against the strategies of the devil. The devil's real, and so is spiritual warfare. For we're not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world. Against mighty powers in this dark world and against evil spirits in heavenly places. Therefore, because of that, put on every piece of God's armor so you will be able to resist the enemy in the time of evil. Then after the battle, you will still be standing firm. Why? Because when the smoke clears and the battle's done, I want to still be standing. And so it's important to get involved in a local church. Submit yourself to you to a pastor. Determine that you're going to stand for God no matter what. After all, that's what God intended as we look back over the Bible study that we've just gone through. God has always wanted a covenant relationship, a covenant people. And living for God is not going to be easy. It takes commitment. You think about a wedding, a bride and groom standing at an altar, staring into one another's eyes. Oh, the future's so bright. The exuberance is unmatched. That excitement is mixed with a little bit of nervousness, and they'll even occasionally, with this ring, I thee wed uh, my worldly good, and, and they trip over words because they're trying so hard to say it right, and by the end of the ceremony, though, they have entered into a covenant relationship. Names have been exchanged. You took on the bride, takes on the name of the bridegroom, and the journey begins, and I wish that every day of humanity was just like that beautiful day. Unfortunately, it's not. There are ups and downs. The journey of marriage is one filled with commitment and covenant, so daily decisions are not... Just based on feelings. You, and that's what happens sometimes in a role. I don't feel that love anymore. I don't feel like we made the decision, the right decision. Maybe I feel like we should do something different. No, no, no. That love is as much a decision and commitment and covenant as it is a feeling. And so it's kind of like the bride of being the bride of Christ. We take on his name in the waters of baptism. And we become the bride of Christ, and he fills us with his spirit. We become the temple of the Holy Ghost. And there's going to be some days, if we're honest, that we just don't roll out of bed feel like praying. Some weeks we don't feel like fasting. We don't feel like sharing our faith because that's uncomfortable. But it's important that we don't walk with God and continue our relationship with God based on how we feel that day. We have to remain committed. Keep growing. God has a plan for your life, and Even in that development of that plan, it might not always go how we thought it should or would, but even then there's a chance for growth. James 1, 2 through 4 says, Dear brothers and sisters, when troubles of any kind come your way, consider it an opportunity for great joy, for you know that when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. We love miracles, but we don't like the situations that require miracles. So let it grow, it says, for when your endurance is fully developed, you will be perfect, complete, need nothing. You know, the Bible talks about fo- the following topics for a reason. Pressing on, patience, endurance, because if we're not careful, we lose the desire or the commitment to press on and faithfully endure because we can get lost in the here and now. No matter where or when you're watching this, every human being, we have to fight it at times to not get lost in what the circumstance is in our modern day. But don't forget, eternity, forever and ever with Jesus Christ, eternity is on the horizon. That's why Paul writes to the Colossian church, and he says, set your affection on things above, not on the things of this earth. There's something in humanity that's always been concerned about the afterlife. Is there more than just what we see on this earth? What happens to those who die? Is the world going to end? If so, how? Even the religious groups of Jesus's day, the Pharisees believed in the, after, in the resurrection, the Sadducees did not. Even then there was disagreement about afterlife. And so Jesus's own disciples, they had questions about the end of the world. And Matthew records it, Matthew 24, three, they're, they're sitting there on the mountain of olives and the disciples came to him and they said, okay, tell us. When will these things be? What shall be the sign of your coming and of the end of the world? So it's really a three-part question there. He says, when shall these things be? What shall be the sign of your coming and the sign of the end of the world? And if Jesus was not intending to come back for his people, for his church, wouldn't he have said so right there? Hey, guys, I don't know what you're talking about. (laughs) I ain't coming back anyway. When I'm out of here, I'm out of here. No, but he didn't say that. As a matter of fact, he said completely the opposite thing. In John 14 too, it says, "Is in my father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. Why? Because if I go to prepare a place for you, I'm gonna come again. That's his second coming he's talking about. And receive you unto myself. Why? Because all the way since Adam and Eve, since the beginning of humanity, this has been his goal so that where I am, there you may be also. Always has desired to dwell with, to tabernacle with his people. So look at how Jesus responds. His disciples, hey, what's the signs? End of the world. What's the sign of your coming? I want to know these things. Jesus starts to list signs to look for. In verse 4, Jesus answered and said to them, Matthew 24, 4, it says, Take heed that no man deceive you. Deception. Many will come in my name, saying, I am the Christ, and, and shall deceive many. You're going to hear about wars and rumors of wars, and but see that you're be not troubled. For all these things must come to pass, but the end is not near. For nation shall rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom. There shall be famines and pestilences and earthquakes in diverse places. All of these are the beginning of sorrows. Take a look at that. He gives a list. Deception, false Christs, wars and rumors of wars nation rising against nation that's not just other countries that's nationalities ethnic backgrounds rising against one another famines diseases earthquakes and he wraps it up and says these are the beginning of sorrows but he says when you see these things the end is not yet near but when you see them, look up meaning a state of readiness look up because your redemption draws near in the Greek, the original language that, that this passage was written, that, that that statement comes from the Greek words pang or throw, which are both used in childbearing. If you have ever given birth to a child, or maybe your spouse has, or been a part of that process, like contractions in childbirth, the sooner your first contraction, you run to the hospital, they're going to be like, yeah, well, thanks for letting us know. See ya. It's not until the contractions happen more frequently and closer together that you know you're closer to new life being born. This is how Jesus is comparing it. Yeah, yeah, oh, there's always been earthquakes. There's always been famines, yes. But like contractions, the more and more frequently and closer together we're seeing them, the closer we know we are to the event. And so earthquakes are reaching an all-time high. You can do the research yourself. The world population is growing, but food is even more short than it's ever been. Look at the increasing number of diseases that presently even the brightest minds cannot figure out cures for. Wars and rumors of wars between nations of the world, tension between race and culture, even on our own soil or backyard. This is not just society breaking down. This is a sign of the times that Jesus Christ specifically said, when you see these things happen more frequently, lift your head up and get ready god's coming back in another place in scripture the apostle paul also lists signs of times in a separate area in second timothy his second letter to timothy he says you should know this timothy in the last days they're going to be very difficult times for people will love only themselves and their money just just As you read through this, say, hmm, do I see these things in my modern day? Because these are signs to look for about end times. They will be boastful and proud. Scoffing at God, meaning scornful mocking or an object of ridicule. Disobedient to parents, ungrateful. They will consider nothing sacred. Nothing sacred, not the Bible, not family traditions, not marriage, not statues or landmarks, not the law of the land. Nothing will be considered sacred. And he goes on and he says, uh, they will be unloving and unforgiving. They will slander others and have no self-control. Remember, self-control was a fruit of the Spirit. So if there's no self-control, that means the Spirit is lacking in a lot of lives. They'll be cruel and hate what is good. They will betray their friends, be reckless, be puffed up with pride, and love pleasure more than love God. You know, pleasure-seeking industry is probably the number one industry in the world right now. They will act religious, but will reject the power that could make them godly. Stay away from people like that. Signs of the times. Did you see anything in your day on that list? I certainly do. Jesus also said when he comes back, it would be like it was in the days of Noah, when he destroyed the earth with a global flood, but saved Noah and his family. He also says it'll be like it was in the days of Lot, when he called Lot's family out of Sodom and Gomorrah, before he rained fire and brimstone on that city. Both Old Testament stories in the book of Genesis. But look at Luke 17, he says, as it was in the days of Noah, it will be like that when the Son of Man comes back. They did eat, they drank, they married wives, they were given in marriage until the day. Just eating, giving in marriage, marrying and giving in marriage, just, just living life. But the flood came and destroyed them all. Likewise, just like it was then, he says, like it was with Lot. They did eat and drank and bought and sold and planted and builded, But the same day that Lot went out of Sodom, it rained fire and brimstone from heaven and destroyed them all. Even thus it shall be when the Son of Man is revealed. Business as usual, partying, hanging out, marrying, giving, in marriage. But do you know what else it says? It's gonna be when God comes back, it will be like it was in the days of Lot. So what else was happening in the days of Lot? Well, when you go to Genesis chapter 19, there's an entire story that you can read in verses one through 10 that talks about the fact that angels came to get Lot and his family out of that city, the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah, and the men of the town actually surrounded his house and scripture says they were shouting and pounding on the door saying, bring your guests out who were angels that looked like men, obviously, who were angels to bring your guests out so that we may rape them or have sex with them. Homosexuality was rampant in the days of law. And so it appears that even rape was authorized at that time. But like many other cultures in human history, sexual sin was one of the downfalls of Sodom and Gomorrah. And we find that through a lot of ancient civilizations that before they were defeated or fell, sexual sin was rampant. God said, hey, it's going to be like this before I come back. Well, Paul warns of living after our own lusts rather than aligning ourselves with God's plan. He says in 1 Corinthians 6, 9, don't you realize that those who do wrong won't inherit the kingdom of God? Don't fool yourselves. Those who indulge in sexual sin or who worship idols, I'm reading scripture here, who commit adultery, male prostitutes, practice homosexuality, or are thieves, greedy people, drunkards, abusive, cheat people, none of these will inherit the kingdom of God. Now, if it ends there, that's sad. Wow, oh, there's no hope. But the next verse gives all of us hope, because chances are, if you're listening to this, you might have seen yourself on one part of that list, maybe multiple parts. And so Before you say, I, oh, I'm not going to heaven, I might as well give up. No, look what he goes on to say. Some of you were once like that, but you were cleansed. Where are we cleansed? In the waters of baptism. You were made holy. You were made right. That's called justif- justification. By calling on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ by the Spirit of our God, So what is that right there? Repentance, water baptism, cleansing, and being filled with his spirit. God can deliver you from any sin, just like he would me or anybody else. No matter what, his spirit has the power to set us free from the bonds that any sin can try to put on us. So Paul, at least, you know, because when you look at this, there's signs of the, these are signs of the times. But things that we see as they take more As they happen more frequently, we know okay we're getting ready for the next prophetic event on God's calendar. And what is that? That's the second coming of Christ. Some will refer to it as the rapture. Uh, The Scripture does not use the terminology rapture, but a second coming, a catching away of His saints. Paul at least twice specifically dealt with the church's questions about afterlife. In First Corinthians fifteen fifty one, he says, "Behold, I show you a mystery, because it is kind of mysterious, right?" We shall not all sleep, meaning just be dead or or be in the grave, but we shall be changed in a moment, just like that, in the twinkling of an eye, the last trump, for the trumpet shall sound and the dead shall be raised incorruptible and we shall be changed. Again, to the Thessalonican church, he says this in 1 Thessalonians 4.13, he says, but I would not have you ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep or have passed away, that you sorrow not. Not as those who don't have hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so them also which sleep in Jesus will God bring with him. For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord shall not prevent them which are asleep. For the Lord himself, this is his second coming here. The Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout with the voice of the archangel and with the trump of God, the trumpets will sound, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And from that point, so shall we ever be with the Lord. Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. And what comfort that is. Hey, this is not the end. I can spend eternity with him. Paul was not just answering questions about the afterlife, but he was offering the hope of eternity that comes from being the bride of Christ. Just as Jesus experienced death, burial, resurrection, we too can experience death, which is repentance. We talked all about this in previous lessons. Burial, which is water baptism in Jesus' name. And resurrection, which is spirit infilling with the evidence of speaking in other tongues. And what does that bring us? Well, look at Philippians 3.21. He will take our weak mortal bodies and change them into glorious bodies like his own using the same power which he will bring everything under his control but in order to experience this beautiful resurrection and afterlife romans paul writes to the roman church and says what in eight eleven? but if the spirit of him that raised up jesus from the dead dwell in you he that raised up christ from the dead shall also quicken your mortal bodies how By his spirit that dwelleth in you. Being spirit-filled is crucial. If I'm looking at scripture, he's saying the way I'm going to be resurrected and raised is by the spirit that lives in me. By his spirit. I've got to be filled with that spirit. Notice the progressive plan of God. He creates Adam and Eve, and he walks with them and talks with them in the garden. Then he wanted to be with his people, so he says, make a tabernacle among you so I can dwell among you in the Old Testament. Then they reach their promised land, and Solomon builds an ornate, elaborate temple for God to dwell in, and it still wasn't enough, so God takes on flesh, and he dwells among us, and he... Jesus Christ is walking among us and dies on the cross. But then he opens the door and says, hey, the is gonna come, the comforter which is the Holy Ghost. And I'm gonna, you know what? I know it was, it started with walking back then and then sin messed that up. And then it was a tabernacle and then a temple and then a body. But now I'm gonna top that. I'm gonna put my spirit in every single human being that desires it. And I'll give you a sign to look for when you speak in tongues. But even in spite of all that, that's not where it's gonna end. I wanna spend eternity with my creation, just like he said in John 14, so that wherever I am, that's where they will be too, so he's going to come back and say, I'm going to quicken you by the spirit that fills you, and I'm going to resurrect you, and I'm going to catch you away and call you into a second coming when the trumpet sounds, but before eternity begins, the earth as we know it, scripture says, will eventually be destroyed, Second Peter 3, 3 says, most importantly, I want to remind you that in the last days, scoffers again oh yeah sure whatever scoffers will come mocking the truth and following their own desires do you ever see that in your day because that's another sign of the time they're gonna say what happened to that promise about jesus coming again yeah yeah before the time of our ancestors everything remained the same since the day that world was created i've been hearing this forever and peter says they deliberately forget that god made the heavens long ago by the word of his command he brought the earth out from under the water and surrounded it with water and then he used that same water to destroy the ancient earth with a flood and by the same word the present heavens and earth have been stored up for fire they are being kept for the day of judgment when ungodly people will be destroyed but you must not forget this one thing dear friends a day is like a thousand years to the lord and a thousand years is like a day yeah yeah we've been hearing that forever just remember A day is as a thousand years to the Lord and a thousand years like a day. The Lord isn't really going to be slow about his promise, as some people think. No, he's being patient for your sake. If I believe the Bible, which I do wholeheartedly, God is only tarrying before he comes and takes his church just to to be patient for the sake of us as as humanity. He doesn't want anybody to be destroyed. He wants everybody, everyone to repent. Repentance is part of the salvation process. But the day of the Lord will come as in unexpectedly as a thief and the heavens will pass away with a terrible noise and the elements themselves will disappear in fire and the earth and everything on it will be found to deserve judgment. See, many people think that the devil is this equal opposite to God, like you have God and the devil, you know, what's the difference between this and that? Oh, God and the devil. That's not the case. Since the beginning of time, Satan has desired to be like God. As a matter of fact, that's what got him him kicked out of heaven. So now Satan's mission is to tempt humanity and gather as many followers as he can. But really, he doesn't have to get someone to follow him. You don't have to be a satanic worshiper. He just needs to get you to question God's word and whether or not it's really important for you to follow Christ. That's all he's got to get you to do. Adam and Eve... They didn't worship him. They just questioned God's word and fulfilled the lust of flesh, lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. He just needs to get you to put off obedience to say, I'll take care of it someday, tomorrow. But scripture says today's the day of salvation. So what's keeping you? If it's in the Bible, what keeps you from repenting of your sins, going down and being washed in the waters of baptism in Jesus' name, taking on the name, becoming the bride of Christ and allowing him to fill you with his spirit? The Bible sheds light on the fact that before eternity begins, the Antichrist will come and deceive many now. He will even cause the world to take what is known as the mark of the beast. Before you write this off and and click out of this lesson and say he's going into the science science fiction portion, how about let's look at Scripture and see if Scripture actually talks about this. Revelation 13, three says, I saw John, if you can understand in the the book of Revelation is the apostle John had been exiled to an island called Patmos and God starts to speak to him and give him dreams and visions. And he's trying to write down the things that he's seeing in these visions. And so he's saying, I saw that one of the heads of the beast seemed wounded beyond recovery. It's not, this is not like a real life story that happened. This is a vision that he's explaining. And he says, but the fatal wound was healed. The whole world marveled at this miracle and gave allegiance to the beast. He's having a vision about later things, end time things. And they worshiped the dragon for giving the beast such power. And they also worshiped the beast. Who is great as the beast, they exclaimed. Who's able to fight against him? Then the beast was allowed to speak great blasphemies against God. And he was given authority to do whatever he wanted for 42 months. Three and a half years. The Bible talks about a great tribulation lasting seven years. The first three and a half years is a time of peace where the Antichrist is given this authority. The last three and a half years is God's wrath upon the earth. Now, if you look at verse six, it says, he spoke terrible words of blasphemy against God, slandering his name and his dwelling, that is those who dwell in heaven Now, there are a lot of different beliefs in in times, but the Bible says when we are called away, we will forever be with the Lord. This one says uh, he's slandering those who are already in heaven. So it seems very apparent that, that the church would have already been caught away before this tribulation begins. And it says, and the beast was allowed to wage war against God's holy people and to conquer them. He was given authority to rule over every tribe and people, language, and nation. And all people who belong to this world worshiped the beast. They are the, name, the ones whose names were not written in the book of life that belongs to the lamb who was slaughtered before the world was made. Verse 16, but this beast, he required everyone, small and great, rich and poor, free and slave, to, give, to be given a mark on the right hand or forehead. And no one could buy or sell anything without that mark. People say, well, if I ever see that coming, I'll serve God then. Come on, you mean to tell me. You cannot serve God today, but you're going to be able to serve God when it requires you to not eat or have a child taken or your life be put out. Serve God now. It says, without the mark, which was either the name of the beast or the number representing his name, wisdom is needed here. Let one with understanding solve the meaning. And he says, the number's the number of a man. It's the number 666. So this is not just like weird Hollywood movie stuff. This is scripture. This is what the Bible says, technologically the stage is already set for this it's no longer far-fetched it's no longer science fiction as a matter of fact if you do research some governments are already placing chips in employees hands for national security it's already happening if for some reason you missed the second coming of christ don't ever take this mark because there will be no hope revelation fourteen eleven says the smoke of their torment will arise forever and ever they will have no relief day or night, for they have worshipped the beast in his statue. And they accepted the mark of his name. In the last three and a half years of the Great Tribulation, I wish time would permit me to go in depth into all of this. But if I could summarize, the Bible, Scripture tells us that God, his, his wrath is in the form of what is called seals, trumpets, and vials. Found in Revelation chapters 6, 8, 16, And we read about terrible things, things like war, famine, Christians being killed for their faith. That's why I say, don't take the mark. You'd rather just give your life as a martyr at that point. Earthquakes, falling stars, the sun turning red as blood, hail, fire, burning meteors, seas and rivers turning to blood, scorching heat that will burn human bodies, large portions of the plant and sea life being destroyed, and even an army of demons to be released to do whatever they want on the earth my lord i don't want to be a part of that i don't want to be here for this the vision that god gives john to write down in revelation is filled with some terrible things and some will say well that doesn't sound like god he's loving god why would god do something like that yet god has always made his plan clear He's always made it, his plan was always, here's what I'm, all through Bible, even to today, wherever you're living, he's always made it clear. He says, here's what I'm going to do. Here's what you need to do. Here's what happens if you follow my commands. Here's what happens if you don't follow my commands. What is not fair about that? God in his love and mercy, his grace, it's, remember the theme, grace, faith, obedience, God's grace has reached out and showed you, here's what the word says, here's my plan, here's what happens if you follow it, here's what happens if you don't. Now, we either respond in faith or say, yes, I believe, or no, I don't. But even if we say, yes, I believe, it still requires obedience, me to follow through and say, oh, okay, God, if you want me to do that, he says, here's a chair for you. If you sit on that chair, you're gonna be saved. If I choose to stay on this couch with my arms crossed, that, that's my fault. He provided the chair. All I got to do is move there and accept it. So yeah, God's given a clear path for your salvation. He paid the price on Calvary. Now you have to apply the blood just like they did in the Old Testament. The lamb was slain, but they had to take the blood and put it on the doorpost in the Old Testament. And we do this through repentance, water baptism in Jesus' name. And then he wants to put his spirit in us. And no matter what, Scripture tells us, we will all be judged. Man, humankind will be judged. Revelation twenty ten. and the devil that deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone. By the way, hell was not made for humanity. It was made as a place of punishment for the devil. But those who choose to disobey God will. I know a lot of people disagree about this, but Scripture says the smoke of their torment arose forever and ever. There was wailing and gnashing of teeth. There is an eternal eternal place called heaven and an eternal place called hell. He says, I saw a great rain. and he says, they were tormented day and night forever and ever. I saw a great white throne, and him that sat on it, from whose face the earth and heaven fled away. There was no 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 there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God, and the books were open, and another book was open, which is the book of life. The dead were judged out of those things which were written in the books according to their works this is why scripture says don't neglect this great salvation hebrews 2 3 says how should we escape if we neglect so great salvation don't neglect this look at the results Revelation 21, and I saw saw a new heaven. John, it comes to an end. He's starting to see, wow, I saw a new heaven and new earth for the first heaven and first earth were passed away. There was no more sea. And I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem. Because Jerusalem was always the capital for God's people. But now it's a new Jerusalem coming down from heaven prepared. Oh, wow, interesting, as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a great voice out of heaven saying, behold, the tabernacle of God is with men. He will dwell with them. Well, that's because it's what he's always longed to do. And be with them and they shall be his people and God himself will be with them and he be their God. And God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes. What, an, what a compassionate picture we see there. There shall be no more death, no more sorrow, no more crying, no more pain for the former things are passed away. The bride of Christ is now one day with him forever and ever. And so for us... These end time things in the book of Revelation, we could go deeper and you can, what does this mean? What does that mean? They can be puzzling and mysterious and confusing. In some areas, God says what it means. In other areas, there are all kinds of beliefs. Scripture has not made it clear, and so people have a lot of theories. But I want to wrap this, not only this lesson up, but the whole Bible study with just a few minutes to look at the, the true message. And that is, John, he, it's not mysterious, confusing. John. John and the people of the first century in the time he writes, this writing was natural for them. When you read and study the writings of ancient Near East civilizations, you'll read all about. They wrote about fire, animals, war, gods battling each other, gods stepping out at various times, and and as one professor put it in my life, Revelation is like poetry on steroids. (laughs) And here's where the danger in reading and studying the book of Revelation is, and and that's this, we can forget the main message of why the book exists. What does that mean? What does this represent? What about this? When's God come back? Yeah, absolutely. And we, I think we need to be lift up our heads and be ready. But the reason that the book of Revelation is there, it's right in the beginning lines of the, of the whole book. Revelation 1.1, 1, 1, it says, this is a revelation from Jesus Christ. God gave him to show the servants. Look at verse 2. Who faithfully reported everything he saw, John did. This is his report of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ. This whole book is about Jesus Christ. It starts out with seven letters or written letter to seven churches in that particular day and and culture and age. It's addressing things that they were going through. It it was a letter. It's calling them to repent. It was reminding them about God's power. It's a reminder that in the midst of their struggles and their turmoil, even when the enemy is attacking them and the beast is coming against them, even when there's no hope seemingly, they have to hold on to the promise that, hey, if we will repent, if we will stay faithful, To the end, we win. That is what this book is about. And they will always win because if you serve a God who never loses, you never lose. And if we are not careful, we make this book more about fire-breathing dragons and beasts of the sea and whether the book's in chronological order, pre- or post-trib, what the eagle's wings represent, if it's talking about Babylon and Greece or USA and Russia, and we miss the fact that the main message is no matter what goes on, no matter what the situation looks like, no matter how intense the battle gets, no matter what the enemy brings or how many people he has on his side... The story has never changed from the beginning of time, the beginning of humanity, the book of Genesis, the serpent's head gets crushed, God wins, and so do we if we remain faithful and obey his plan. So, think about it. The book of Revelation is about Jesus Christ. The opening opening verse tells us that. With that in mind, look at this passage. Revelation 5.1. John says, I saw a scroll in the right hand of the one who was sitting on the throne. There was writing on the inside and outside of the scroll. It was sealed with seven seals. And I saw a strong angel who shouted with a loud voice, who is worthy to break the seals on this scroll and open it? But no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll and read it. You know what that's saying? Nobody in heaven, nobody on earth, nobody who's died and been buried under the earth. Like no one is worthy to open this. John says, I began to weep bitterly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll and read it. But verse five, one of the 24 elders said, stop weeping. The lion of the tribe of Judah, the heir to David's throne, has won the victory. He's worthy to open the scroll and the seven seals. Who's the lion of the tribe of Judah? That is Jesus Christ. He won. He made a way for us to win too. Because Revelation 16:7 says the seventh angel poured out his bowl into the air, and a mighty shout came from the throne in the temple, saying what? It is finished. Where is another time in Scripture? that the phrase, it is finished, caused the world to shake. It is when Jesus Christ died on Calvary on a cross, and he said, it is finished, and the earth opened, and the quake, and it quake, the earthquake, and the, and the rock split, and, and the tabernacle, the veil was torn from top to bottom, because Jesus said, it is finished. When Jesus Christ took on death, he won a victory that would last for eternity This is the book of Revelation, and this really is the entire Bible. We serve a God who always wins, and in his grace, he's invited humanity to be a part of that victory, to be a part of that eternity, and we will win too. Just follow his plan for your.